welcome to the very first edition of Look Who's Talking at Christchurch New Malden. 30 to 40 minutes of topical chat relating to the life of Christchurch. I'm Anna Larkin and joining me this month to discuss all things Christchurch are regulars Stephen Kurt, our vicar. Hello. Nathan Larkin, our youth worker. Hey there. And our special guest for this week, Andy Black, who among many other things is one of our regular musicians at both our 9.30 and 6.30 services. Hello. Coming up in this very first edition of Look Who's Talking, we will be discussing highlights from the summer, um, progress with the development of the vicarage site, and what's going to come up in autumn. We will also be discussing women bishops and many other things. Well, we are well into the summer here at Christchurch, with the change of pace that tends to happen during August. Less people around because of holidays, different types of sermons through the summer, and ice lollies for all the children who come to the 9.30 service. Just before August, we had the wedding of Susanna Alexander to Paul Sloman, and not long before that, we had the Frozen service, and then Unity Sunday, so there's been loads going on. So I'd like to start by asking each of you what your personal highlight has been of the last few months. Perhaps I'll come to you first. Yeah, yeah, come to me first. I'm Vicar. Um, I think, looking back over the summer, probably the highlight for me, both personally and in many ways because of uh, its impact on the whole of the church, was the wedding of Paul and Susanna. Um, Susanna's been a member of Christchurch for quite a long time, about Mm. a decade, and has been through tough times. And for her to meet Paul and to then get married here, cheered on by... um, all of her friends alongside her family was, was just fantastic. And I, I think it was an important moment, obviously, for them, but also for the whole of the church. We were there celebrating something brilliant uh, together. And we were all there, weren't we? we were all yeah. there the way yes, out. we were, yeah. I think it was so, so great to see for me just the, the relationships within the church that Susanna had made and see mm. just friends come together mm. in a real celebration. And that's really what it was for me. It was, it was such a celebration, mm. such a great day. I was lucky enough to do the music for it and mm. just such a great congregation. The mm. singing was fantastic and, and a great party afterwards as mm. well. So. It was yes. also great to see a bridal <coughs> march coming back down the aisle with lightsabers. Yes, yes. <laughs> that was a particular highlight. Yeah. <laughs> you better explain that. Very good. <laughs> um, yes, Susanna um, has two sons, Zach and Cammy, who are very big Star Wars fans. And um, as the bridal party processed out of the church at the end of the ceremony, her two boys walked behind her with lightsabers, taking out various members of the congregation <laughs> on their way. To, to the Imperial Death March? Yes, yes. It was. yes. yes. very I dramatic. Must, I must confess, I was quite nervous about that wedding. I'm always a little bit nervous about weddings because you've got the potential as vicar to mess up someone's entire day. Uh, but particularly because Suzanne's a good friend, you know, really wanting it to go well. Mm. Um, but it fortunately did. So it was a great day. It was lovely. It was very nice. Mm. Um, so, Nathan, we'll move on to you now. What did you think of Unity Sunday? What was it all about? And why was it such an important date for our church? Yeah, I mean, um, as youth worker, it's interesting because I get to see different parts of Christchurch and I'm involved in, in different areas. Um, and some, not as much as I'd like to as well. But... Um, as we've really grown as a church, which we have, um, we've got all sorts of strands. I think, I think we've kind of talked about maybe five strands of Christchurch, including the 9.30 service, uh, 11 o'clock, 6.30, grapevine, and then the youth work. And, um, you know, at, at its best, that's, that's exciting and fantastic to have so much going on. But, you know, we, we run the risk of having separate churches doing separate things. And I think to have a day like this where we all came together and... Uh, he shared some food on the lawn and shared some banter and um and and even for the young people to talk about what church was i remember an encounter um 
we had a whole session on, on asking the children what they thought church was and why we were doing this Unity Sunday. And, um, and yeah, I think my favorite moment of the day was one of the, one of the kids there um, said, well, so after we talked about church, he said, well, isn't church a bit like uh, a loom band? Which, um, <laughs> yeah, it seems to be all the kids are making it these days. And, um, and, and he said, well, well, all the different people in church are a bit like the little elastic bands. And Jesus is like the S clip that holds the whole thing together. I thought, you know, from a from a, you know one of the kids, it's just really, well, for me personally, really exciting to hear him engaging in that kind of way. But a really nice picture of what, at its best, church can be, mm. and 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 to see us all come together, you know, and and to for the kids to pray for the weather to turn, mm. which it did, mm. and to have such uh, a good time enjoying the back garden while we've got it, you know, it was, uh, yeah. Yeah, one of the things I wanted to emphasise on that Sunday is that unity absolutely certainly as I understand it, is at the heart of what Christianity uh, is about. And and I think particularly in the evangelical tradition, which Christchurch has been strongly part of with all its strengths, unity has often been regarded as at best a sort of long-range minor implication of the gospel rather than at the heart of the Christian gospel itself. And certainly from my perspective, having different people, very different people, coming together as part of one community in the name of Jesus Christ is at the heart of what Christianity is about and that sort of reconciliation across, across boundaries. So it's a really important Sunday and I hope we're going to repeat it mm. uh, each year and it's going to grow in, its, in, its, in people's perception of its importance. And of course there's nothing that unites people together quite as much as throwing a bunch of wet sponges at a vicar. Yeah, but we discovered a photograph in 1906 of a garden party during the Edwardian era at Christchurch. So <laughs> I was very disappointed to see the Reverend Chalacoon, the second vicar of Christchurch, not in the stocks. Disappointing. Sponges thrown at him. But I don't Actually, think there's, another, there's another photograph of, of someone else sitting around the table here. <laughs> yeah, uh, I couldn't Andy. resist it. Yeah. You were the one who yes. poured the water bucket I over did, my head. Yeah, I couldn't just do with just a sponge. It had to be the whole bucket. Well, there's a great quote I heard um, quite a while ago, and I think I might have used it in a sermon before, but uh, there's a great... I can't remember who, who it's attributed to but someone said that you're a, you're a congregation when you sit in rows mm. at church but you're a community when you sit around the table together and eat and yep. drink mm. I think that's so true totally. for, yeah. particularly for unity Sunday and you, you just turns it from just the service mm. that you attend at Christ mm. Church to the community that you're in as yep. Christ Church mm. and they're two very different things I think particularly for newcomers to the church particularly for people that just attend one service, to realise that breadth of kind of community that we've got, the breadth of service is such an important thing. And it, 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 I think it's a really important part of being a member of the congregation, is to not just be a member of the congregation, to be a member of that community yep. as well. Mm. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Andy, um, while we're on you, um, <laughs> I wonder whether you could tell us about what you've thought about the sermon series we've had through the summer. Now, it's a, it's a sermon series that we repeat every August at Christchurch, um, and we have a series of people um, who don't usually preach talking about why they are a Christian. So what have you thought about that? Yeah, I think it's a really good sermon series, and it's been going on for quite a few years now at Christchurch. I was lucky enough to, to, to preach um, on why I'm a Christian oh, yes, quite a few right. years ago. And it's on the it's, website for anyone who yeah, wants yeah, to Yeah, on the website. It's my first sermon, so it might be a bit, bit wooden. But, um, <laughs> and in fact, it is, it is where quite a few of our preachers at Christchurch mm. have started yep, on do. that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a really they don't realise they're getting nobbled at the time. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's being, <laughs> Stephen asks being you to future, <laughs> future sermons. Um, it's, but been, it's, it's been said that... Um, being asked, you know, it's, it's like a bird, a turkey is called bird and Matthew's grinning at it. 
I, just, I was so chuffed though when I got asked. I just thought, you know, it's, it was such a good thing. But it's a really, really good sermon series, and it, it's people who are familiar around the church, who uh, are, are friendly faces, but they they go up on into the pulpit and just talk about why they became a Christian, mm. their journey to, to to becoming a Christian, and people have very varied ways mm. of that journey mm. they've yeah. been through, um, but also quite a lot of people talk about why they're still a Christian as well and I think that's, that's a big mm. thing and that's a big part of it but what really amazes me is that every year people come to that uh, sermon and doing it and they're, they're completely open and completely honest mm. and it's quite refreshing just to hear people be mm. that honest about their faith yeah, that level of vulnerability just to, absolutely to... Well, I think it was a real turning point uh, two years ago when Susanna did it you know, the one we were talking about earlier who got married recently and she was very honest about the breakup of her first marriage and, and actually you know, got emotional uh, when she did the sermon. And I think what that, it breaks down lots of boundaries and people are really grateful that someone's sharing mm. with complete honesty. I mean, this Sunday we had Sue McCrossan did a mm. great talk and spoke incredibly movingly about you know, the bereavement that she's had and what makes her continue being a Christian you know, in the light of all that. And, you know, people can't avoid listening, really, when people share yeah. real stuff in their lives. And I think it's when people talk about the doubts they've had yep. on that journey as well. And it's mm. very refreshing, because I think we've all had doubts mm. at times. And it, it's very refreshing to see people that are our, a regular face at Christchurch and realise that for you as a, maybe a new member or someone that's in the congregation, to realise that there's people there who have had this journey that's similar to you. They've been on the ups and downs along that road. I think is so important to, mm. to understanding that. And yep. I think there's and to nothing... hear it from the front. You know, to hear Absolutely. it right there yeah. from the pulpit, say, yes, you know, we've oh. struggled with this too, or yeah. we continue to struggle with that. And what I want is for it to break down as sort of any uh, gap there might be between those who speak and those in the, in the chairs, really. Um, so, so that it's not that people hear sermons and think, well, they would say that because they're sort of paid to do so or because they're particularly keen. So having people tell the story of their Christian journey in complete honesty and in ways that everyone can relate to or certainly having a, a big enough spread of people uh, that people can relate to as, as people like them. Yeah. I think also, don't forget one of the highlights is seeing old retro wedding photos. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a, a particular highlight. And people, the school mugshots as well. School <laughs> bad hair, bad fringes is, is the rigour for, for those I 70s. I clearly didn't get that message. I, I didn't have any of my photographs in there. Your wedding photo asked from the 70s, not that I was married in the 70s, but do you think they should all be collectively burnt and, and that no wedding photographs should be allowed to No, no, not. I think no. that they are fantastic <laughs> viewing. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> My favourite is uh, if you ever want to see the best retro wedding photographs, ask Jenny Cropper and Rod. They're amazing. We'll have to mention names. The most glamorous wedding I have ever seen. Yeah, fantastic. Yes. I think Mike and Esther Ferguson's is quite good. Mike looks about 16 in he his. He's so young, he's brilliant. So, he's, uh, yeah. Well, speaking of people's fairy tale endings, yep. we have also had um, a sermon series um, at the beginning of the summer about the theology in fairy tales. So, Stephen, can you tell us a bit about your thinking behind this, what you hope to achieve yeah. through it, and how you think it went? Bit of an odd thing to do on, on, on the face of it, but. Um, and I'm not the first person to notice this, but it's, it's interesting how much uh, really good theology is contained within fairy stories, fairy tales. Um, and Frozen, in particular, is a sort of you know, recent fairy, uh, fairy tale film, and it's made a huge impact, hugely popular film, and there's so much within 
that fairy tale and with plen within plenty of others, uh, which reflects a great deal of truth about the human condition and very often is touching on major, major Christian themes. So just to give one example, uh, in Frozen, the way that in the end um, liberation comes and freedom comes for, um, for Elsa through the love of her sister and she knows that she's going to be set free by love but doesn't realise that it's going to come through the love of her sister. And there was so much within Frozen that just jumped out at me and I thought this is going to um, be stuff that really needs to be analysed, that lots of these children are watching it the whole time, their parents are often watching it, without necessarily realising just how much truth is summed up uh, in, in these fairy stories. So that led to me doing Frozen and you know, getting all the kids to come in costume, brought in a lot of people who don't normally come to church and loads of kids dressed up as Anna and Elsa. There's such a buzz around the place. It was a wonderful I was buzz, very excited. Was a, yeah. Did you come in costume? <laughs> no, I wish I had. <laughs> they don't sell Elsa dresses in the, my the, size. The real problem was I spent, because it's spelled Anna, I spent ages saying Anna, Anna, Anna when I saw Anna in my script. And, uh, it meant and then the he called me so Anna for another two weeks. <laughs> in the office. But it was, it was lovely. And I followed it up by doing Beauty and the Beast, one of yeah. your favourites, isn't yes, it? Yes, it is, And then yeah. Shrek. But there was a lovely spontaneous moment in the um, Frozen week when, uh, I think during the sermon, you were talking about the theology in the song Let It Go, mm. which um, I'm not going to talk about for very long because the song gets in my head and it's gone in, in there for <laughs> like a week. That's, that's not. Um, but but um, as the song's up, you know, all these little girls in their dresses mm. just started dancing in the aisles and then dancing their way up the yep. aisles till they're at the front doing their pirouettes. And, Absolutely. Um, yeah. Mm. It was, was Eleanor Borman and um, Ellie uh, Grant who decided you know, that, you know, decided on their own bat to come up and lead the dance because people were getting it wrong, apparently. Oh, okay. And oh. weren't singing. Well, we can't have that, not in, in church. In quite the right <laughs> no, way now. No, it's very cute. <laughs> but yeah, I thought even um, on the... Because I guess with fairy tales, I'd kind of engaged and, and, and thought of... You see a lot of people sacrificing themselves for others. And, mm. you know, so I, I kind of thought, yes, I can see where we're going with that. But the, the one that really stood out for me was the Beauty and the Beast mm. one, just because there was just so much... Um, new creation mm. theology yep. seemingly in there that, yep. that I just there's no way I would ever have um, yep. connected but, but I cannot not see it now so yeah. can so I just stop you there and ask um, what do you mean by new creation theology Nathan <laughs> <laughs> okay good question for, for, uh, perhaps we should pass it to the, to the man who's written a book on it but, well um, yep um, very often and people at Christchurch have heard me talk about this quite a lot um, going to heaven when we die is not an adequate shorthand for the Christian hope plenty of people think it is but actually the bible's vision of our future hope is much richer than that when we die we are promised we go to be with jesus jesus is in heaven so it's not untrue that we go to heaven if we're a follower of jesus when we die but the bible's real hope where the bible invests most of its energy when talking about our future is in our resurrection to a new creation in other words, God's not going to scrap creation. When Genesis 1 says that creation is good, it means what it says, and that God is one day going to renew creation, join heaven, his sphere, to earth, our sphere, join them wonderfully together, as uh, Romans 8, 1 Corinthians 15, and Revelation 21 says. And resurrection is at the heart of that. So us being given uh, new transformed bodies to enjoy creation to the full. And the reason Beauty and the Beast is such a uh, useful film theologically is uh, we'll be human again, which is one of the big numbers in Beauty and the Beast, really sums up what resurrection is about. It's mm. about us being fully restored mm. to the way God made us to be. So in the film, all these um, 
servants who become... Um, and sort of, yeah, they become candlesticks. <laughs> Teapots. Teapots, all that sort of thing, <laughs> pots and whatever. They get transformed at the end, and they're transformed by what happens to the prince. So it's an amazing illustration of you know, Jesus being raised from the dead and then all those who are sort of in Christ being raised subsequently. Um, and films often will hit the nail on the head, almost without trying. I don't yeah. think that was intentionally. I'm almost uh, sure it wasn't intentionally. Well, you, you know, interestingly, knows, you know, truth has ways of just bubbling up. And... Um, you know, it's, it's a terrific film, but I did feel the need to follow up with Shrek. Yes, because that turns Beauty and the Beast on its head, really, it, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does to some degree, um, because I think what Shrek does is... Uh, Beauty and the Beast is still, when they're transformed, you know, the beast still becomes this handsome prince, whereas Shrek actually has quite an emphasis on, mm. you know, God looks uh, inwardly rather than on the outside, although that's not very explicit within it. Yeah. Um, and so Shrek and Fiona staying as ogres. She did make a beautiful ogre, though. She made she? a beautiful ogre. Yeah. <laughs> if I went for an ogre, I would go for, <laughs> I would go for Fiona. There you go. Our first exclusive on Look Who's Talking. <laughs> well, speaking of fairy tales and happy endings and sometimes having to wait a little while for mm. them, we have finally seen some progress with our very long-awaited building project. So, we Stephen, have. tell us we all about that. The building project. I said to PCC recently, I, um, I, I wanted to quote Martin Luther King, and I said, you know, I may not get there with you, but I've seen the promised land. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, there is progress. After years of delay caused by um, people who ought to remain nameless, I won't mention the councillors. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, um, basically we have planning permission now. The demolition of the old vicarage has yes, happened. Yes, the that, vicarage is gone. Yeah, it has, has gone. 1874, that vicarage went up. Mm. The year Churchill was born. And it was a fine old building, but it was in the wrong place, massively expensive to heat, um, and it's going to be replaced by stuff that's much better. So demolitions happened at that, took about a week and a half. It has, Speaking and we would know all yeah. about we that. We would know all about that, perhaps you ought to I had, I had my own fairy tale experience, my own <laughs> dream come true, and I got to have a go in the digger. The very lovely builder let me um, climb up, and he showed me how it all worked, yeah. and I personally and single-handedly demolished the port it of the old bridge. It was quite extraordinary. It was quite extraordinary to yes. watch this. I it fell there. down a lot more quickly it, than I think the did. builder every, expected it, it to. Every, every <laughs> other part of the building had come down gradually. That's the new skill. Yeah. And I was sitting in the digger, and there are photographs of this, uh, which people can you know, get access to if they contact Stephen Kurt uh, <laughs> by email. I think um, on Facebook, possibly. Yeah, or Facebook. And I sort of, with the, the digger, she just clipped, basically, the ceiling of the porch, and all the walls collapsed, and the whole thing was destroyed. <laughs> yes, it? obviously it was completely intentional, and I was in control <laughs> the whole I time. I felt sorry for that down-and-out guy who was underneath it all. But. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, was, I was surprised to see diggers at all. I thought when, when the Church of England done demolitions, we just march around the walls with trumpets. Yeah, and, uh, no, yeah. <laughs> we <laughs> decided not to take that approach. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, it doesn't but work it so well with salvage if the old bricks and, I, and tiles. I, I had a go as well, and it was, it was great fun. And Elizabeth Hill, our administrator, had a go. Yes. She was very shy about asking. It felt a bit like asking, you know, my mate wants to go out with you. Because I had to go <laughs> up to the, the guy who was supervising and say, Elizabeth would like to have a go. You had to mate. ask for me as well. I, yeah, I did have to shy. ask for Anna as well. I love the idea that someone that it doesn't come to this church but knows you is walking past and said to their friend or their wife, you never guess who I've just seen. The local <laughs> vicar demolishing the old vicarage. It's most odd. Well, the first nine vicars lived in it and the tenth vicar yeah. demolished it. Yes, and you did yeah. it in your clerical shirt as well, I, I think. I did, I did. With I a fluorescent vest over the top. I did, yeah, I did. And well, a hard you hat. Were, you weren't wearing a hard hat. No, I wasn't. No. Yeah. Yeah. 
anyway, linger on that anyway it's down, <laughs> it's down, and um, basically building work will start fairly soon, and we will have these fantastic new halls, which for people who don't know, are really being purpose-built around the needs of our children and young people. We've got around about 250 kids coming regularly to Christchurch, um, do a lot of work with children who don't go, or young people who don't go to church as well, and the buildings that are going to um, basically be not far away from where the old vicarage was are going to be purpose-built uh, around you know, the needs of our children and young people, and they'll be fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure how aware some of the younger children are about what's, what's happening, but the teenagers are starting to get real. I think, you know, I'd, again, I've been speaking about it for so long, telling them, you know, you're going to have these brilliant new halls, and, mm. you know, the radiators aren't going to jut out from the walls, and you're not going to stub your toes when you play football, and, mm. you know, all of these problems that we have. It's new creation, it, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, you know, so every time, every time something annoying happens in the parish halls, I, I say, you know, oh, you do have these new halls. And they've heard me talking like this for so long, I don't think they really believed me it was going to happen. But all of a sudden, and I've just realised it's because they've been watching the dem- demolition happening, they, they seem to be very excited. And it's like, when's it happening? When's yeah. it uh, So yeah. And it'd also be a benefit to other groups that use the, the halls mm. as well, regularly mm. in things like Even More. And, yep. and also, at Christmas time, we do the night shelter. Yep. It would yes, give absolutely. us more space yep. and more well, ability absolutely. to do that. So yep. it's really going to have a... Yep. A great impact. That's going to be great. And to be on one site for our kids not have to cross the road. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and those, and disabled access, really big. It's gonna, that's yeah. a big difference, yeah. actually, between what we yeah. currently have there and what we're going to have. And I would so. just like to say that the new building is going to have a fantastic state-of-the-art office yes. as well. I'm very excited about the new office. Yeah, well you better be explain a bit about your role in the office, office Anna, because, you know, people listening to this might not know. You're the same Anna who's in the office. Yes, I'm, I'm the same Anna that works <laughs> yeah, in the office. The, office. <laughs> the one that answers the phones. Um, yes, and I put together the notice sheets and I sort out the money and do When I phone up the office, things. I'm never quite sure because you do such a beautiful introduction. I'm never sure whether to let you finish it or say, look, it's the vicar. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> At least you stopped prank calling me. Yeah, true, true, true. <laughs> that was just to introduce Anna into the, uh, into the office, but anyway. Yes. So, yes, lots of excitement about the new building. Now, we've talked about what's happened through the summer and a bit before the summer, so now let's look ahead to the autumn and what's coming up for Christchurch. Um, so one of, my, one of the benefits of my role in the parish office is that when the vicar finally sends it through, I have um, a sneak preview of the preaching programme because I also put together the, the little booklet that gets given out with what's going on. Um, so it looks like we have got some very exciting sermon series coming up that we can look forward to. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, Andy and Nathan, I think you're both down to preach um, over so, the next yeah. few yeah. months. Um, so um, how, do you know yet what the title's going to be, or would you like me to let I'm you know? I'm just looking at it now. <laughs> Stephen is passing me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. As we speak, yeah. yes. well, I've done twice. So, so, so yeah. we've got um, a little bit more on, um, on Genesis you know, mm. the, bit, the in, interesting bits where Noah gets drunk yep, and things like that. At 6.30, yeah. At 6.30, that's in the evenings. In the mornings, we're going to be looking at, uh, well, at 9.30, we'll be looking at Paul's letter to the Philippians, all about the secret of joy. And at 11 o'clock, we'll be having a look at 2 Samuel, um, all about David. Um, and then later on in the, um, in the evenings, we'll also be looking at developing a theology for our youth ministry. Mm-hmm. So, Nathan, would you like to kick us off with that? Um, what does that mean? What is a theology for youth ministry? That is a good question. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you come along on the 28th of September... Uh, Shame you have a sermon is not even a twinkle in my eye yet. Um, mm. No, I, obviously... Um, what we do here with the young people is much more than just uh, hanging out and playing football. Um, and it's also 
uh, quite different to the kind of youth ministry that I grew up with, which was uh, a lot of sitting down and being told about God and expected to behave in certain ways. Um, and hopefully what we do is try to meet young people where they are, but to, to journey with them and to discover uh, what God uh, might have for them and what, what insights into their lives that they may, may see from a different perspective um, through journeying along with them and, and, us, and us sharing. Mm. Uh, so so that's, uh, we'll, we'll unpack that a lot more. I think Stephen's got two sermons mm. and I've got two. And we'll cover things like um, what the cross means uh, to, to a young person, how, how we would, um, how that impacts the way we work with them. Talking about why theology matters, um, how we approach scripture, I think, is another one. And then uh, I'll leave Stephen to talk about eschatology in, yep. in youth ministry. But, one of the things I'm really, really, really you know, convinced of is that everything in church is much, much better when we're absolutely crystal clear as much as we can be on why we're doing what we're doing. Mm. And all the way from Grapevine to what we're doing with services to particularly our youth work and our children's work, being absolutely crystal clear or as near as we can get to that about the theology of what we're doing and why we're doing it affects the whole delivery mm. of that ministry. So Grapevine, to give another example, is an area where when Sarah Parker, Camilla Pierce and myself set that up, we spent a lot of time thinking very, uh, you know, to, to, to a great extent about why we were doing it and what we were seeking to, uh, to bring about. And that really shows in mm. the detail of how it's delivered. And, and really, you know, this is already happening to a great degree with our youth work. But it's really to, to give us the chance to think it through more clearly, um, but also to share it with the congregation because, you know, one of the aims of Christchurch really, uh, one of the areas in which I think we need to develop a little bit more is with our congregation having a bit more ownership of things like our youth work and understanding yeah. it, understanding yeah, the theology behind it, knowing how to pray about it, knowing how to support it yeah. and be part of it. I think it's also good, you know, speaking to Nathan about this before, to understand your place as a member of the congregation in our youth work. Yeah. It's not just about handing you our kids mm. on a Sunday morning and saying, there you go, Nathan, we'll see you in an hour. It's yeah. about your place in your children's relationship with God in their relationship with the community and I think you've got some really good ideas on that Mm. and I think that is great to hear as the congregation that it's not just about a club it's not just about explorers or or climbers it's more than that it's about our overall aspirations for them as young people in this church Mm. yeah Yeah. and that's something that uh, you know over the years has become more and more clear to me um, and hopefully will become uh, more clear as we as we go through the series and as we we share it as a as a church together but that you know uh, what I do with the young people is, is such a small part of their journey um, what goes on at home what goes on at school is enormous too and and that it's something that really does need to be owned by um, not just the parents but the, the wider church mm. um, can I just say a bit about that series at 930 Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, basically at 9.30, we're looking at, as you said, Paul's letter to the Philippians, and it's sometimes called the Epistle of Joy. Quite a lot of Paul's letters are quite feisty and he's challenging false teaching and so on. Philippians is one of the letters where uh, Paul is at his most mellow and happy in many ways, although chapter 3 gets a little bit um, feisty. (laughs) Um, But there's a lot about joy and about how we achieve joy. And I looked at it this week as I was drawing up the program, and I thought, well, it's four chapters, really... Each one of them has a different angle on how people can find joy, not meaning being happy the whole time, 
but actually having something deeper that means that the, the bad things that happen to us are, you know, the scales are outweighed by, by what we do receive uh, from God. And so we're going to look at the first chapter of Philippians. I'll be preaching on that about how Paul sees good things coming out of bad. And when we have the eye of faith, we can see the things that God can bring about from the most unpromising situations. Uh, Pete Everett's then going to preach on Philippians 2 about developing an attitude that's similar to that of Jesus, um, you know, making himself nothing uh, for us. I'm going to preach about the Christian hope from Philippians 3, being clear about that, what I was talking about earlier. Um, and Andy is going to be doing chapter 4. Yeah, like I just seen there, it's learning to relate well to others. Is that something you feel? Do you struggle with that? <laughs> I do a bit. I feel like it's Stephen <laughs> with his. Um, <laughs> well, there are two women having a party in, in, called Yodi and Syntyche, and Paul implores them in Philippians 4 to sort of patch it up and so stop having a go at each other. So if you know two women who aren't getting on, you can base uh, your sermon on them. I'll maybe stage a minor Barney on the day. Well, we look forward to it. Indeed. So I see we've also got, um, coming up in October, we've got two um, small breaks in the preaching program. On the 5th of October, we've got um, a united service for Harvest. Um, So we usually have lots of church events coming up to Harvest. And and this year, we are doing a craft and produce fair, which is going to be very exciting. Um, If you haven't yet got involved, do pick up a little booklet on your way out of church. Um, It's got a list of all of the categories and the competition that you can can sign up for and enter and see how you get on. Um, It is all just a bit of fun. We're not expecting... um, Loads of professional signing yeah, what up. What are the sort of things people have got to do? Things well, I'm, make, I'm making some chutney. Right. Yes, yeah. Nathan's decided then, on chutney, so ones, good luck to whoever's children. judging You've got some now. Children growing, growing, um, growing sunflowers. sunflowers. Yes, sunflowers, so I think yeah. you're probably a bit too late to start growing your sunflower yeah. now, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there is um, a very exciting junk modelling. It's an animal made out of, you know, junk, old yeah. food packets and things like yeah, that. So, so that you've got to come up with an animal, and it can. I think it's an imaginary animal. I think you're probably a bit too old, Nathan. And there are lots of categories for grown-ups too, ranging baking, from a, there's baking, yeah. there's yeah. photography, there's other art type things. There's, yeah. there's mm. something. There really is something for everyone. Um, the fun committee have put a lot of thought into yeah. it and made sure that you know there, there's something for everyone. So do get involved. It'll yeah, be we know a who good gets laugh. to eat all of the, the stuff. Well, I, I, I volunteered because yeah. I know I'm the judges need to come from outside the church because Ross Sainsbury is really the mastermind. Yes, we are having external judges to keep things fair. Yes, so yeah, yeah, we are taking it seriously on some levels. <laughs> and then um, later on off. in October, we've um, on the 19th of October, it's Freedom Sunday. Mm. Um, and we've got an external speaker, Emily Chalk, coming to speak at all three services. 9.30, 11 o'clock and 6.30. So Stephen, who is Emily Chalk and what is Freedom Sunday? Well, Freedom Sunday is, I think the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, has encouraged Christians in the Church of England certainly to... Um, use one Sunday in the year to particularly think about the plight of people who are trafficked and to stir us up as a church, as churches to uh, do stuff about that. And we've actually been thinking quite a lot about human trafficking at Christchurch and we've raised quite a lot of money in recent times through um, the Act for Justice group that's in New Morden, that people at New Morden Baptist as well as Christchurch mm. are part of. Um, but Emily Chalk is uh, someone who I taught when I was a school teacher. Uh, I taught her religious studies uh, A-level and uh, quite a long time uh, ago, about a decade and a half ago. Um, but uh, Emily worked out in Bangkok, I think it was, with women who were prostitutes, trying to help them and to get them out of that life. 
and she now uh, is part of organising something called uh, Ella's Home, and it's named after, I believe, a, uh, a girl who had been trafficked that Emily had um, contact with and tried to help uh, previously. And this is providing a sort of safe house for people who've been trafficked. And uh, when I heard that Emily was doing this, um, you know, sounds absolutely fantastic. And she actually asked if she could come and talk about it at Christchurch. Oh, brilliant. Mm. So I said that she could come on the 19th of October, fortunately. She's free that day, and she's going to preach at all, all three of our services. Great. Uh, well, and fantastic. Not to be missed. Money. Yeah, yeah. Which, and, and it will be great. And it's quite funny having, um, you know, people that I taught, um, you know, from when I was a school teacher. Uh, it's, it's fantastically rewarding to, to see what they go on and do. Mm. Mm. Brilliant. Well, um, while we're on the preaching program, Stephen, how do you go about drawing up the program? Because you come up with it every couple of months and yep. you decide what, wh- well, which series we're going to yeah. have, which topics, which mm. bits of the Bible, and you also decide who's going to preach at each one. So I know there's a lot of work that goes into it, but how do you, how do you go about putting it together? Do you just do what you fancy hearing about? <laughs> <or>? <laughs> well, actually, I think I can speak for Andy as well here and say that I think what he actually, the, the kind of method behind it is that Stephen picks out the most awkward, difficult, <laughs> and, uh, and, then yeah. and then gives it to, to, to me or Andy. Well, and normally, actually, I try not to give anyone something that I wouldn't do myself. Um, so normally, if there's a stinker, I try and sort of, you know, do it myself. In turn. Although, Carolyn's got a genealogy in Genesis 10, but I think that's because I'm preaching at the 9.30. She <laughs> she's landed that. I mean, basically, what I try and do, um, 9.30, 11 o'clock, and 6.30, very different congregations, um, so what I basically try and do is think, well, where is that congregation at at the moment? And what emphases have we had recently? And what fresh emphases, you know, could we do with? Um, and, for instance, with the 930 service, with this series on Philippians and Joy, I think there's quite a lot of people who come to 930 who really are looking for an answer to, well, how do I find that peace of mind? How do I find that constancy, which doesn't go up and down, um, you know, alarmingly with all the difficult things that are happening uh, in my life. So I try to pray and think about the different congregations and what they uh, might find useful. I also try and make sure it's varied so that, you know, we, um, we have some thematic series which start with issues that we think about and see what the Bible's got to say on them. And I think it's good to have series that start with the Bible and then say, well, where's that taking us? Um, and there is a certain amount of crossover in the congregations, isn't there? Yeah, there, lots, there is. Lots of people who go to more than one service, so it's nice for them not to have to sit through the same thing twice. Yeah, although we do sometimes repeat series. Um, it, it's rare that we have the same sermons on the same Sunday at 9.30 and 11 yeah. o'clock. If a series has worked particularly well, quite often we will repeat it. Sometimes with the same preachers, sometimes with a difference in personnel. When it comes to the preachers at each service, um, I don't want people to feel pigeonholed, but on the other hand... Uh, people have particular strengths, and some people are particularly strong in talking to a certain uh, congregation or talking on a certain subject. Um, one of the things I'm most proud of at Christchurch is I think we have got a very high standard of preaching, but also we've got a really diverse uh, you know, band of preachers. And quite often when churches have quite a lot of strength of preaching, they will tend to have preachers that all more or less take the same sort of approach. And one of the things I really want to develop at Christchurch is diversity. So people have their very different styles because they will connect and chime in with people, uh, you know, in, in very different situations. Um, and that's what I positively want to encourage everyone to really mm. be themselves, not to develop their skills. You know, one of the good things that you hear other preachers, and you know, that's quite interesting the way they've done that. 
Um, so we're always looking to develop. I think we should be our, uh, our preaching. But at the same time, I think one of the things is that people should be liberated to be able to be themselves, not try and be everything, um, because the next week people will get a different approach from someone very different. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that's basically you know, what I'm trying to do as I go about drawing up the programme. Great, fantastic. Well, before we finish for the night, um, I think we can't um, go home without discussing a massive, very important historical event that has just taken place with women bishops. So, Stephen, tell us all about that, because I know you were involved the, f the first time it went to well, the Well, yeah, to the, um, when, it, when it failed, I was involved mm. uh, legislation. -wise. We won't hold that against yeah, you. Yeah, it wasn't my fault. <laughs> um, yeah, basically, for quite a few years, I mean, women could be ordained as priests, in other words, become vicars from 1992. And from fairly soon afterwards, the campaign started to get the Church of England to um, pass legislation that mean, meant that women could become bishops. And it's been quite a struggle, and um, a majority uh, of people in the Church of England have wanted it for a long while. The question was whether it would get the necessary two-thirds majority that was needed in each house of General Synod. And for those who so don't what know, are the two houses? Well, the General Synod uh, is the Parliament of the Church of England that basically you know, passes the legislation, which then is passed on to Parliament, and Parliament uh, then agrees once it's gone through General Synod. And within the General Synod of the Church of England, there are three houses, a House of Bishops, a House of Clergy, and a House of Laity. And it was always going to get through the House of Bishops, it was always going to get through the House of Clergy, but there were a significant amount of people in the House of Laity who were unhappy with women bishops, or more accurately, were unhappy with the safeguards for opponents. Mm. Most people accepted it had to happen, uh, but opponents of women bishops, what they were concerned about was whether they would then be marginalised, whether they would be forced to accept the authority of a woman bishop if they didn't want one, uh, and right. so on. And really what all the wrangling has been about over the last couple of years and, 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 and before has been the safeguards, with opponents of women bishops saying they're not strong enough. And people strongly in favour of women bishops like myself being concerned that we didn't end up with male bishops who were fully bishops and women bishops who were semi-bishops because people could opt out of their authority too easily. Um, and Justin Welby, I think, has given great leadership um, because they've managed to come up with a package which opponents, in some cases rather grudgingly, uh, but have been able to accept and so women bishops is going to happen. And how far away are we from it, do you think? Well, from, from the, the first, first women bishop, yeah. I don't think long at all, actually. Um, and I, you know, I, I don't know, I'm a little bit more out of the loop now than I was uh, a couple of years ago. But I think probably within the next year, we'll see uh, the first uh, women bishops. And um, yeah, it'll be an interesting development. I think it mm. really will change the Church of England. Um, I remember reading uh, an article on BBC actually you were yeah. asked about um, women bishops and you yep. talked about being like opening a window in a, in a, stuffy, room. In a stuffy room. Well I yeah. do think mm. that when places are single gendered they become more dysfunctional usually because it's all men and no women but there are examples the other way primary schools often are overly mm. female and become dysfunctional because there's not enough men there um, but I do think the Church of England and particularly the House of Bishops is something that will just be yeah, like opening a window in a stuffy room um, and um, you know we need we need you know a mix of men and women making you know the, the key decisions I think within the Church of England. I'm theologically completely completely convinced of its rightness. Mm. 
Well, I mean, theologically is, is one thing, but I know um, in lots of churches there has been a concern, usually voiced by men, but not exclusively, that church is becoming a little bit too feminized for yeah. men. Mm. Um, not being a man, I don't feel that that's a problem. Um, but uh, sitting here around a table with three men, um, what, what do you think? What, what do you prefer? Do you think it's difficult? Would you like to see a mixture of men and women in the pulpit? Or, um, you know, what's your opinion on it? Andy, I'll come to you first. I, I think it's great to have a mix. I think we're very lucky at Christchurch to have a real mix of, of uh, men and women preaching and uh, particularly when we've had women preaching up on in the pulpit there's some really great uh, sermons that come from them Sue McCrossan mm. this week did her Why I'm a Christian it was so refreshing just to hear her her story and I think Susanna often does some really mm. honest fresh takes on, on, on sermons that really kind of eye openers for a lot of the congregation but Ultimately, Anna, I think we'd like to see you up on the pulpit as well at some point. No, yes. well, I, can I, assure I you have that asked will never Anna, happen. and Anna has so far brushed me off. Yes. Yeah. I'm just as likely to become the first female bishop, Andy, as I am to stand in that pulpit. <laughs> you heard it here first. Yeah, there we are. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I mean, I have to say, um, being part of a staff team that's um, both men and women involved, it, it's like absolutely convinced me of the kind of importance of having um, both genders represented. And sometimes, you know, I, I get that that can be, you know, sometimes some of the men bring slightly more feminine characteristics to the to the team. Not, <laughs> not mentioning no anything. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and sometimes it can be the other way. You know, traditionally, these things can be yeah. uh, maybe too uh, solidly set. But actually, you know, there, there's definitely times when something's, you know, happening and I might be very uh, kind of quickly getting riled up and thinking, right, we should do this and should do that, and, and to have a fresh perspective brought from um, someone else. Sometimes it, it's not a... Um, anything more than just having other people there but I do think it, at times it can be at its best when we've got um, both genders It doesn't stop the men coming does it? I mean one of the things about yeah. the 9.30 service is um, we've got lots of men coming and it's brilliant and I just don't buy into the, I mean we've had ma- mainly male leadership of the church for 2,000 years so if the church has become feminised it's the fault of the blokes <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I do think that when you have men and women up the front leading and uh, preaching that it brings a to get theological for a moment it brings that unity of male and female which I think is strongly represented in the early chapters of Genesis as reflecting the image of God most thoroughly and I think in trying to anticipate the new creation which is what church is all about having men and women playing their roles to the fore anticipates that richness and that unity and that fullness and that reconciliation which the new creation is all about. And, you know, it makes it, um, you know, easier to listen to. It makes it more inclusive. Um, and so I hope it will, you know, continue to develop. Yes. Well, my, my one concern, really, about women bishops is one that I haven't really heard voiced very much. And it does make me quite anxious, is that the, the bishop sort of costume outfit thing that they yeah. wear, I think that would be quite unflattering on the female figure. I don't think it'd be fair <laughs> to expect very someone good on men, to. Well, it? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little <laughs> feminine, mean, actually. Awful, while we're on the. I mean, to be honest, mitres, those silly pointed. Is that what they're called? Where a lot of people think that they, um, they were from the Reformation onwards, mitres were done away with, and they were first in, reintroduced in 1885. The first bishop mm. after the Reformation to wear a mitre was 1885. The first archbishop one in 1929 so the church had this long gap without doing with these silly hats 
and then, chiefly through the influence of the Anglo-Catholic movement, they were introduced. So I would like to see uh, women uh, bishops coinciding with us taking yeah, a good look at the, the silly get-up that clergy wear. Yeah. The problem is that quite often... Um, the women do quite like the costumes. <laughs> so whether that will be... Just a more feminine say that, version, a that's more all feminine, I ask. Or maybe yeah. you could design a that. A slightly more fitted, I think. Yep. Well, I Something. think a more appropriate use for one of those crooks is actually if the church youth workers got them. Because I'm not quite sure what the, the bishop needs it for, but I can certainly <laughs> do with it occasionally, just to keep them in the hall or it, out of the road. It can be rather off-putting, though, as, as someone from outside of mm. the clergy looking at all that and looking at the kind of pomp and circumstance yeah. that goes with that kind of... Mm. High church. Would you like it if we wore robes here, Andy? Um, it wouldn't put me off. I think, as you've said before, it's good to see more skirt up on the platform. <laughs> Stephen, so, um, <laughs> I didn't say that, Tim Davis. Oh, it's Tim Davis. Oh, no, no, sorry, Stuart, uh, said, Stuart Downey said that's that. That's right, sorry, yes. So, yeah. I don't think I could take you seriously and address Stephen. Well, the funny thing is, when children do see me doing a funeral, and they happen to walk past the church when I'm normally wearing my robes, they, they start laughing. Because I'm not they've surprised. They've never seen me wearing <laughs> that stuff before, you see. I mean, what, one of the reasons why I wrote... I mean, robes are just very impractical, certainly at the 9.30 service. I couldn't really leave the ad God is a great big God wearing robes. Um, they would probably be okay at 11 o'clock. Uh, in hot weather, they're stifling. Mm. Uh, and they must and be a nightmare to iron as well. Yeah, ironing a surplus, very difficult. That's why I married Vicar's daughter. Because <laughs> <laughs> she was used to ironing surplices. <laughs> Right, well, on that note, Stephen, <laughs> I think we had better call it a night. So this has been Look Who's Talking at Christchurch New Malden. Um, see you next time. <laughs>